how great it has been to watch their family just grow up among us, God, and to see you raise them up, Father, equipping them, granting gifts and talents, Lord, using them in ministry, Father, and we are just so thankful for the time that you've given us, God, and Father, uh, according to your will and your plan, you are moving them to another place. God, we pray that uh, as they go, your spirit would guide them and lead them, that they would be a blessing where they find an area to fellowship, Lord God. Father, that you would continue to use their gifts and talents to touch the lives of others, Lord Jesus. And as they go, we just, uh, we just know that our love goes with them, our prayers go with them. Lord, that you would watch over them, bless them. Father, that you would uh, just move in a mighty way in their behalf. And we lift them to you and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open up to Acts chapter 14. And we'll continue to look at uh, the work that God is establishing and, and uh, doing in the lives of Paul and Barnabas. I'm, I'm blessed as we began the journey. We began with Barnabas leading Paul. And as they work their way through their first stop, we see God anointing Paul. And he takes the head, takes the lead. Barnabas, not worried about titles or any of that stuff, he lets it go. And, and uh, God moves forward with them and, and just grants blessing as they, as they move forward. And as they travel and as they go, we see God fulfilling his purpose. Here's what God is doing in the mission field with Paul and Barnabas. They go to a town and they share the word and they go to a synagogue. They go to the synagogue because in the synagogue there is a foundation. In the synagogue, there are people who already understand the word, right? They've already studied the Old Testament. They're looking for a Messiah. It gives them a foundation. They start there. There are two things that they'll find every time they go to a synagogue. Jews and God-fearers. God-fearers are Gentiles who were willing to believe everything that the Scripture laid out, but would not follow through with circumcision, so they were called the God-fearers, proselytes. They would stand outside, but they would come and to hear, and they're ready to, to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. That's where Paul would start. And usually, as soon as he would start teaching in that synagogue, people would, would immediately say, yes, this is what we've been waiting to hear. This is the one we've been looking for. And people would get saved. That would become a nucleus for the church that would be planted in that city. Paul and Barnabas would stay there and they would serve and they would minister until things got a little too crazy. Now, sometimes they throw them out. Sometimes they try to kill them. For one reason or another, Paul and Barnabas would leave. They were no longer able to be effective in that area. So Paul and Barnabas would go to a new place and leave behind the new converts. And the new converts would become that church. And that church 
would be effective in reaching out to their friends and family and sharing with them the truth and the church would grow. And when the church grew, the church would have people upon their heart would come a desire to go into the mission field and they would send them out and it would all begin again. Everywhere we go, the goal of missions is not to go and set up a kingdom for ourselves. It's to go and raise up people in that area, to plug them into Christ, to give them an opportunity to get grounded, allow the Holy Spirit to minister through them and to them so that they can go out and do the same thing. When we left Paul and Barnabas last, they were in Antioch, Pisidia. And you remember that the people in the city threw them out. And they shake the dust off their feet, right? And they go to the next place. They go to the next place. As I look at that, and as I consider, it reminds me a little bit the call on Paul and Barnabas to the call on another fellow. In fact, if you come tonight, you'll hear a little bit more about him. His name was Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 3 and in Ezekiel chapter 33, God calls Ezekiel in his ministry to something specific. And as he calls him to it, he reaffirms it later on in chapter 33. If, you, if you've never been to Ezekiel, it's a great time to go. Flip over there to Ezekiel chapter 3 and we'll take a look at this, this concept that the Lord lays upon Ezekiel. And I believe, in a large degree, upon any of us who would consider ourselves a disciple, a follower... Of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17. It says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. Now, if you were to consider the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus said, Go into all the world, making disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Isn't that the same thing? Take the words that I give to you, and you give it to them. He says, I'm calling you to be a watchman. He says in verse 18 of Ezekiel 3, When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his sin, but his blood I will require at your hand. And if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he will die in his iniquity. But you have delivered your soul. He says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I want you to be the watchman. The watchman, the whole picture of the watchman was to stand on the wall of the city. When an enemy was coming, your job was to sound the alarm. You would blow the trumpet so everyone in the city would know the enemy is coming. Now, they they could stay in their bed and do nothing. And the enemy would come and conquer the city and maybe they lose their life. But it wasn't because the watchman didn't sound the alarm. God said to Ezekiel, I'm calling you a watchman. Sit on the wall to sound the alarm, to give my word to the people. Because if you give my word to the people, they have an opportunity to do what? Repent. To turn. To change. They have an opportunity 
to be saved. He says in verse 20 of Ezekiel 3, Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, and, and he shall die, because you did not give him warning, he will die in his sin, and his righteousness which he has done will not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he will surely live because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. In chapter 33, he reiterates again the call to be a watchman on the wall. Now for Ezekiel, this was a very specific calling that God gave to him as a prophet to go to the nation of Israel and sound the warning judgment was coming. Very specific call for him. We see in the lives of Paul and Barnabas and those they leave behind, a very similar issue. Paul and Barnabas very distinctly called to go. They go on a missionary journey. They enter a city. They share the word. What happens? Do they save anyone? No. All they do is share the word. They share the word. And God does the work. They share the word. People get saved. From that group of people who get saved, there will be others who are sent out. But in that group, there will also be those who are very specifically to be home, reaching out to those who are there. No matter where you go, whether you're called to go across the ocean, or you are called to go across the street, you are called. Do not think to comfort yourself with the idea that, well, I'm not an evangelist, so I don't need to share with anyone. Oh, you're, you're called. The great commission is not the great suggestion. It's not the great hope. It's not the great, hey, if you got time for me. The great commission is a command. To go and to share. No top secret believers. Pick a side. Pick a side and walk it. Pick a side and be who God's word is asking us to be. As we, as we look at Scripture, as we work our way through, that's how I see us as a watcher. All i got to do is sound a trumpet. I don't save anybody. I don't got to go out and fight the army by myself. All i got to do is share what Jesus Christ is doing with me, what God is showing me in His Word, what God has been impacting me with. All i got to do is share. What I want is when people see me, they say, Hey, that's Jackie. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. Do they know that about you? I don't want them to know, hey, there's Jackie, he's that guy from Calvary Chapel Buick. Hey, care less. Who cares about that? I want them to know that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Period. Jesus. I'm following His way. He is the way, the truth, and the life, the only thing that matters. Yes. That's the point. Do they know that? Do your friends know that? Does your family know that? Are you hiding behind a name, a denomination, a claim? Or are you for real, really out there? I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, my job is to sound the trumpet of His Word. To declare what God is doing in my life and through me. And that's what Paul and Barnabas and everyone they come in contact with do. That's what they do. That's who they are. Let's take a look in Acts chapter 14. As we see this work that is being done. Now it happened at Iconium. 
that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude believed of the Jews and of the Greeks. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace and granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city, they were divided. Part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. Now in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. And this man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in the front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out, saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you. And we preach to you that you should turn away from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, giving us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the truth of your word, God, for what you are accomplishing in our midst. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see. Lord, I pray for ears willing to hear. God, I ask that your word would accomplish that to which it is sent, that we might make a decision this morning, that we are truly followers Lord God, that we would follow you whithersoever you go. God, we ask your anointing upon this time. Father, your spirit moving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at this first missionary journey, it's important that we realize the entire first missionary journey is summed up in the area of Galatia. In fact, if you were to read the book of Galatians you would read many of these same city names. They are all in the region of Galatia. Paul, later on, will write the book of Galatians to go 
to these churches that are founded as a result of him ministering throughout that region. As they go, as they've left Antioch and Pisidia, they're going to travel 80 miles over mountains, crossing streams, all the way to grandmother's house they go. They are going to travel over very difficult terrain. They did not take a plane. They did not take a train. They did not drive. Nor did they ride horses. They walked. 80 miles. They were willing to walk from where they got off the ship. They are somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 miles by the time they come to Lyconium. As they come to Iconium, as they come to this place to share and to minister, they have made a decision, right? They're committed. They're committed to see what is it that God's going to do. How is God going to work? They're willing to pay that price. That's a long walk. That's a long walk just to see what God wants to do. And as they follow through with that, and as they walk, and as they go... They do what Paul always did. They go to the synagogue. And in the synagogue, like I shared with you before, they begin to share where already people are prepared by the word of God and the longing for the Messiah, the promise of the word of God to be true. They're just waiting for someone to come and declare that to them. And so as they're gathered in that place, look what it says in verse 1. It happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. Jews and Gentiles get saved when they go to the synagogue. Why? That's where they're gathered, right? Those who have a foundation in the Word. That's why that's where Paul would go. They got a foundation in the Word, that's where he's going to start. From there, they're going to get saved, and those people will begin to branch out into their community. So Paul goes. Verse 2 tells us at any time, guys, any time we gain the smile of heaven, we earn the frown of hell. There will always be someone who comes against what God is doing all the time. It's always that way. We have to understand that there is always going to be opposition to what is happening. Look what it says in verse 2. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. They poisoned their minds. A very specific poison that they utilize. It's a poison still used today. That poison is that Jesus Christ doesn't quite accomplish what needs to be done. You need Jesus and something else. Jesus is okay and he... He's, he's a part of the solution, but really, you have to, in your flesh, accomplish something so that God is going to be satisfied with you. Then you, when you have earned that, you have earned that relationship with God. It's the same. Every single cult and ism, every single thing out there that raises itself in opposition to the truth of what God's Word teaches, 
It all does that. That's what these unbelieving Jews did. In fact, if you want to hear about it, all you got to do is open up the book of Galatians. Flip over to Galatians to your right. We'll take a little tour through the book of Galatians. We'll begin in Galatians chapter 1. As we take a look at it, Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. Listen to what Paul had to write to them later on. He said, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. I marvel that you're turning away. See, the same lies follow Paul his entire ministry. The same lies that would come and say, no, 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 not grace. It's not grace in Jesus Christ. It's not that you are vile. It's not that you are a sinner and Christ came, lived that perfect life so that he could impute to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. By faith, you could believe it so that God would change you from the inside out and you would become a new creation. No, 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 no. It is a work of your flesh. You gotta change something. You gotta do something. You gotta be something else. And then if you're good enough and you do it long enough, then you will enter in. Then you will earn the relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, this is another gospel. But the word another is, it's not another of the same kind. This is not a gospel unto salvation. It's just another Thing being wrapped up in a different wrapping. Same old lie. You, yourself, pride in self, trusting in self. If I do, if I do, if I do, if I can attain, if we could attain to salvation any other way, then Christ needed not to die. He goes on in verse 7 of Galatians chapter 1 to say, But there are some who trouble you and who want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be anathemad, accursed. Any other gospel. What's the gospel? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, very clear declaration of the gospel. The, the 13 chapters of Acts that we've been through, very clear declaration of the gospel. The gospel is, simply in a nutshell, the incarnation of Christ, His life, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. That's the good news. It's all Jesus, 100%, Him, 0%, me. He did the work, He accomplished the goal, And what does the scripture tell us? Then it's by grace, God's unmerited favor to me. I put my faith in the finished work of Christ. And he imputes unto me a right relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's his sacrifice, his work. It says right here, if they come and preach to you anything else, it's different. It's wrong. It's not it. As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. It's wrong. 
The same old thing was going on with Paul. That's what these Jews were telling him. Listen, they were saying in, in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you would not obey the truth? Before who eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Why won't you obey the truth? You know, today in our world, as then, there was an issue about whether or not truth matters. Does truth make any difference? Well, I think it's kind of an important thing. I mean, I don't know, but in our world, it's not all that important. If you really look at what's going on in our world and the things that are happening in our world, truth. Listen, if we can just all be at peace and we just all, if we allow everyone just to find their own way and every way is a good way and there's no specific way, there's no special thing that needs to occur. If we do that, everybody's got peace. But peace for what? I think the truth matters. I think what's real matters. And so Paul would say to the Galatians, why are you turning from the truth? What is the truth? That everything is wrapped around in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That he died for my sins. Why would you set that aside? What were they asking him to do? The Jews were asking him. They were saying to them, listen, you need to do something else. You need to be circumcised. If you'll be circumcised, if you in your flesh will do something in your flesh, that act in your flesh is going to make God happy and you can then have a relationship with Christ. Yes, Jesus died for you, but it wasn't enough. You also need to be circumcised. And Paul says it's a lie. You don't need anything but Jesus. He is the good news. Period. He is the good news. Well, Galatians 4, 17, listen to what he says. They zealously court you, but for no good. They want to exclude you, that is, that you may be zealous for them. What is the whole point of every cult in an ism? We can, we can always find them. They always are, are very willing to go knock, to go tell, to go... Do the things that they need to do. Sit at the supermarket. There's a lot of things that they'll do. Are they doing it because they love you and because they're worried that you're going to go to hell? Or are they doing it so that they can earn their way? That becomes motivation of selfishness. Listen, Jesus Christ calls us to share the truth of Jesus Christ with the world to save them. Isn't that what he said to Ezekiel? He said, these guys are going to die in their sin, Ezekiel. They're going to die. They're going to, they're going to go to hell. They're going to enter into an existence apart from me for all time. you got to tell them. If you don't tell them, I hold you accountable. I hold you accountable. Tell them. I don't want them to perish. That's a lot different than in order to... Earn your way to heaven. You have to share with so many people. Knock on so many doors. Do so many things. It has turned something that should be a spiritual work into a work of the flesh. And Paul would declare that in the flesh, I can do no good thing. In the flesh, I can do no good thing. None. There's nothing good in my flesh. He would tell the, the people... Are you so foolish to think what you have begun in the spirit you can complete in the flesh? 
If it's begun in the Spirit, it must be finished in the Spirit. It's a spiritual work. It's a work of the Spirit working inside of me, changing me from the inside out. Does that mean my life should change? Absolutely my life should change. Absolutely. How, how can it not change? If Jesus Christ is in me, how can I keep doing the stuff I've been doing? There's got to be a transformation, but we get it backwards. The transformation isn't what earns me. The transformation is what happens as a result of Christ being in me. Christ in us, the hope of glory, Paul would declare. Listen, he goes on throughout the book of Galatians to continue. In Galatians 5, he says, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. But he who troubles you shall bear his own judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why would I suffer persecution? For the offense of the cross has ceased. If there is anything else that is necessary, Paul said. If there is anything else you have to do other than faith in Jesus Christ, the cross is not necessary. The cross is not necessary. It is the cross and the cross alone. Galatians 6.12 As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh... These would compel you to be circumcised, only that you may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Hey, in order to just fit in, glorify your flesh. Make your flesh, make it look good. Make everything on the outside look good. Then you have it backwards. If you try to make the outside look good before you have asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, then you are a whitewashed sepulcher full of dead men's bones. You look pretty on the outside, but on the inside you are a dead man. We must first come to life in Christ. And allow that life in Christ to make us into a new creation. He does that work. We submit ourselves to Him. This was what they were doing. This is what they were trying to tell Him. He says in verse 13, For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they might boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast in anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth anything, but a new creation... And as many as walk according to this rule, peace, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. To as many as walk according to what rule? That I am a new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared for me to walk in. Now there's going to be a change in my life, but it's wrought from the inside. I don't do it. Jesus does it. I submit to that. I give myself to Him and I allow Him to do that perfect work. This is what they did. When it says, unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind, this is what they were doing. It's the same old lie. Yesterday, today, forever. The devil finds something that works and he runs with it. And the same old story was the story back then. But look at verse 3. Verse 3, it says, therefore they stayed there a long time. They didn't run away because there was opposition. They stayed a long time, and they served, and they taught, and they shared the truth. 
Then they work their way through the Word of God. Because in the Word of God is absolute and complete total truth. We may not like it, but that doesn't change it from being true. Anytime a police officer pulls me over, walks up to my window, and shows me the radar, I may not like what the radar says. But it's truth. It's the truth. The Word of God is the truth. It's the truth. Can, can we find all these places still? Sure. You can go to Iconium. You can go to Lystra. You can follow in the footsteps of Paul. Absolutely. Are they all real places? Sure are. Are they all really the words of the men they claim to be written by? Absolutely. People for generations have been trying to decry the fact that the Bible can't be trusted. And they've worn out their hammers on the anvil trying to beat it down. But the truth is, God's word is everything that we need. Everything that is necessary. They stayed and they spoke boldly. And look what it says. They were bearing witness to the word of his grace. And they were granted signs and wonders to be done in their hands. The power of the Holy Spirit moved through them. The power of the Holy Spirit in miraculous signs. And the end of the book of Mark tells us that there are certain things that would follow the believers. It says they'd be bitten by snakes and they wouldn't die. That ever happened in the Bible? It happens in the life of the guy we're reading about, doesn't it? Paul? Yeah, yeah. They'll drink things or poison and they won't die. It says they will speak with other tongues. It says these things are going to be a part of the power of the Holy Spirit following believers. People want to throw that out, but it's there. Why is it there? To tell us that when the apostles went out with the truth and they fought with a lie, the Holy Spirit manifested himself in power and people saw. The signs didn't bring faith. Faith had to be evident before signs could come. But the signs came to establish the truth of what they were saying. That they were apostles. How come those things don't still happen today? Are you kidding me? Now, no, I'm not going to ask you to bring a bunch of snakes so we can pass them around in church and see if anybody gets bit. Have you ever been walking down through the grocery store and been thinking about something? I wonder what's been going on with that brother or that sister. Man, I, I've been thinking about them, been meaning to call them, but haven't done it. And you walk around the corner and there they are. What do you call that? Oh, we call that a coincidence, right? Well, honey, I like that. Look at that right there. They just happen to be in the same store. I just, anybody ever had that happen? You ever been thinking about somebody that you've been wanting to talk to and you wish you could reach out to only to see him right there? Well, I call that the power of God working in your life. You think that the supernatural is only going to be something mystical that vanishes out of mist? I'd say that the power of the Holy Spirit works supernaturally in the natural. And boom, there you have an opportunity what do you do with it? That's the important thing. The power of the Holy Spirit. You ever been talking to somebody really hurting and all of a sudden, bloop, some verse comes out of your mouth? Bloop. I have it happen all the time. It just bloop, comes out of my mouth. And I say, wow. That's pretty good. I ought to write that down. It might come in handy later. What do you call that? 
coincidence, I just happened to remember this verse. Just the right time. Hmm. It was the power of the Holy Spirit working. He still works. He still moves. You say, oh, yeah, but there's nothing really magical or mystical about the way he works. You guys, maybe you guys uh, uh, aren't aware. Last week, Cassie, uh, she's a le- little 11-year-old girl that has bone cancer. She's here in our fellowship. We brought her up. She came to the 9 o'clock service, and we prayed for her. She was having tests, and the tests were to, de- to determine whether or not cancer had spread throughout her body because if it had from that cancer, she's going to be in really bad shape. So we all gathered around her and we laid hands on her and we prayed, God, we pray that you're, that the cancer just right in that one spot and doctors are going to be able to treat it and she's going to be able to move forward and, and, and experience the treatment that she needs. And we had the whole church empty. Everybody come out of their seats and they all laid hands on this girl. We prayed for her and she went back and sat down. A couple days later, her mom came into the office and said, man, we're on cloud nine. We just met with the doctors and the doctor said, that the cancer has not spread anywhere else. It's just located in her leg. And so they're going to be able to do the surgery. It's a pretty intricate surgery. we still got a lot of prayer to do. But we're just celebrating today that we have good news. And we all say, wow, that sure is lucky that that cancer didn't spread. Man, what's the power of God working? Don't be blind to the power of God working in your life. We all want to see the Red Sea part and the amazing thing happen. And I pray you get to. But I think sometimes we miss the simple miracles. And if you can't see the simple miracles, you're probably not going to see the big one either. The power of God is still moving and working. It was working then and it's working now. The same way we see God moving, He is moving even at that time, in Hebrews 2, it says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, was confirmed to us who heard Him, God bearing witness with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to His own will. Is that different today? No, it ain't different today. It's the same way. God's been doing it then. He does it now. And so that's what they did. They stayed and they did that. But it says in verse 4, the multitude in the city was divided. A part went with the Jews and part went with the apostles. And when the violent attempt was made by both of them with the rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and they fled to Lystra. Lystra is 26 miles away. If you watch, if you carefully watch Paul, you're going to see him go into a city, preach. People get saved every single time. Eh, with the exception of maybe one. We'll talk about that when we get there. They preach. People get saved. Crazy things happen. Eventually the town throws them out. Or the town wants to kill them. In which case, they leave. It's not all that hard, right? Is that that hard for us to leave if someone wants to kill you? I don't, I don't think it's that hard. The town wanted to kill them. What that means? Jesus said, when they reject the word you have, leave. When the town tried to kill Paul, he would say, uh, they're rejecting. And he'd leave. What did he leave behind? The believers. Now those believers were part of the community. There are people that had lived next door to these guys forever. So now when Paul and Barnabas can't be effective, who can? The believers that are left behind, right? 
Now, even though they would leave and they might say, oh, wow, we're leaving those are just baby Christians and, and I, man, I really need to be able to help them and I've got to be able to teach them and I've got to do stuff for them. Now, that's putting all your faith in your flesh again. It's a work of the Spirit, right? It's the same Holy Spirit that works in Paul now works in those believers. Even though they're not as smart as Paul? Absolutely he does. So Paul turned them over to the Holy Spirit. Write a letter to them called Galatians. Try to encourage them. They'd spread it around the churches. They could still be effective. So Paul would move on. So Paul comes to Lystra. Now there's something in Lystra. When he comes to Lystra, it's different. Look, it says in verse 7, And they were preaching the gospel there. What doesn't it say? What did he always do first? Always went to the synagogue. He doesn't go to the synagogue in Lystra. How come? They didn't have one. What does that mean? That means there are not 10 Jewish males in that city. It doesn't mean that there are not 10 Jewish females. It just means there are not 10 Jewish males. If there were 10 males, it had to be a synagogue. No synagogue? It's a small group of Jews, right? Maybe just a couple. Maybe just a couple. So when they come in, they begin preaching. Now the problem when they preach in Lystra, they don't have a foundation. Those people are worshiping Zeus, right? They don't know what the Word of God. What's the Word of God? What are you talking about? They have never heard of the Old Testament. They've never heard of the promises. Man, there's, it's, a, it's a big deal. The, the whole message changes. The whole method changes. And as Paul's teaching, it says, he notices that there's a guy there who comes to faith. He just sees the light dawn. He's talking about Jesus, and he's talking about the promise of God, and he sees his lame dude, and the light comes on. And when the light comes on, Paul, the Holy Spirit, speaks to Paul and says, God wants to heal this guy. Now, the guy had not, never walked in his life. Have you ever seen somebody who never walked in his life? You know what his legs look like? Little spindly things, no muscle in them at all. None at all. They just become appendages that are actually get in the way more than anything else. He has no idea how to walk, has never walked in his life. Paul, moved by the Holy Spirit, responds to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit says, God wants to heal this guy. He sees the, the dawning of faith in the face of the man that he's sharing with. So he just says, stand up. And the dude doesn't. What's he do? He leaps. He leaps. This is a guy who's never walked in his life. Now, if this is anything other than a miracle, I don't know how you would, well, you would describe it. In order for him to leap, muscles got to be in his legs. So those little spindly legs had to at least be strengthened in some way so that they would be able to move. So there would be a physical change in his legs. But it started with the eternal truth of faith in his life. He saw that he had faith. He said, stand, God healed him, and he leaped. He leaped up. You and I and everyone on the face of the earth, when we come to Christ, are those little spindly legs. We got nothing in us, there's nothing of us, there's nothing we can do, nothing we can do to help ourselves. We just are helpless, in need of Jesus Christ. When we come to faith, he moves into our life and changes us from inside out. He changes us. We become new. 
Some people would listen to Paul and say, oh, you're just telling people that this is a license for sin. Live any way you want to. And Paul would say, how can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? I died with Jesus Christ. And I'm risen with him. I've been crucified to the world, Paul would say. And to the world's passions. I left all that behind. But it all started with the reality of Jesus Christ in my life. It's not me. It's not what I've done. It's what he has already done. What he continues to do in each of our lives. So Paul does his healing. It says then, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices. Now who are these people? They're in Lystra, guys. Lystra is a border town on the edge of the jungle. In the middle of Turkey, Lystra was the furthest east the Roman Empire would go. Lystra. There were barbarians that lived there. Crazy people. People who had had no education. There was a few Romans there and a little bit of Greek influence. And obviously not very much Jewish influence. On this border town of these people, they they had polytheism. What's polytheism? They believed in a multiplicity of gods, right? They believed in a lot of gods. They saw this miracle and they go, wow, Zeus and Hermes are with us. Zeus and Hermes, it's got to, the gods have come down with us. So they, they go and they, they start to, to put these wreaths around their neck, garland. And they put it over their neck. And, and, and initially Paul and Barnabas are like, well, that's kind of cool. We're used to people, you know, kicking us out of town. Seems like we're getting welcomed a little bit here. And then they start to figure out what's going on. And they start bringing the oxen, and they're, they're speaking in, in Iconian. They don't know it. It's a barbaric language. They, neither one of them spoke it. The people still spoke Greek so they could communicate, but they're speaking in their home tongue, in their, in their barbaric language, and they're jumping around, and they're starting to make these sacrifices. They're going to make an offering. And look what happens. It says, <clears throat> Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the speaker, And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice before the multitudes. Now when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and they ran in among the multitude. And they they cried out, Men, why are you doing these things? Why also are we, we also are men, the same as you, just like you. And we've come to preach to you, to herald to you, to make the proclamation that there is one God. And he's calling you to leave all these useless things. Notice it says, to turn to who? The living God. One. There's only one. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all the things that are in them. Now they can't start in the Old Testament. Well, they sort of do. They can't start in a foundation. Where do they go? To the beginning. Let me tell you about the creator. Let me tell you about the true God. And then this time they go all the way back to the beginning. In verse 16 he says, Who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. What does that mean? It says, God holds you responsible for what you are, what he or how he has revealed himself to you. As of yet they had not had a herald. They had not had someone preach to them the truth. So God held them responsible for what they could know of him in creation. Now there's a herald. Now there's a preacher. Now there's a person there to declare. And so he said, he he was not left without a witness though. He says, 
in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and with gladness. And as he's doing this, he gets interrupted. He never finishes. <coughs> he never gets any further than that. It says, even with these words, he could barely stop the people from making sacrifices to him. And then something happened. Do you see it? Something happened. It says in the, in the next verse, of verse 19, then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came. They showed up. They walked 126 miles just so they could have an opportunity like this. As they walk in, they see everything that's going on, and they turn the crowd. They spin it. They're from that area, probably even speak Iconian. And so they're able to declare to them, these men aren't gods like you think. They're blasphemers. And immediately they turn the crowd, and the crowd turns from one hand of proclaiming that these two guys must be gods to shouting out, stone them. The scripture says they stoned Paul. They stoned him. They didn't pick up pebbles and throw it at him. They picked the biggest rock they could have. Did you guys ever, you guys remember the whole Reginald Denny thing? You guys, any of you guys remember seeing that in L.A.? I was actually working in L.A. when it happened. But if you, ever, if you saw it in the news, you saw uh, five black men from the inner city pull this guy out of his truck and stone him in the street, basically. Well, there's only five of them. They hit him with bricks, and they picked up an ashtray. Remember the ashtray? Big ashtray. And they slammed it down, broke it over his head. They ended up fracturing his skull. He, he lived. But as you look at that, that is a small, tiny, insignificant picture of what a stoning was. That was five guys. This is the entire city. Everybody in the city. Throwing bricks, throwing stones. They make no mistake. It says they come to the rubble under which lay Paul, and they pulled all the rubble aside and they picked this broken body, probably broken bones. They drug him out of the city and they threw him outside, thinking he's dead. He wasn't. He wasn't. They threw him out there. Look what happens. Very next verse, verse 20, it says, However, when the disciples gathered around him, disciples, who's it talking about? You see, already there were people in Lystra who believed. They don't know anything. They don't know anything. It's not the disciples, not the 12. They're not there. It's disciples. People that were believing, they came out and they were thinking, man, this guy really had something to say. And but look at him now. And right about then, Paul opens up one of his eyes. He goes, oh, what a lousy day. And he gets up. Don't miss the next part. What's the next part say? He walks back into the city. This is not like three or four days later. A stoning, there's this huge crowd. And what happens after that stoning? After they throw the body out? Everybody just go home? Have you ever seen a riot? I've never seen that happen. 
I've seen the riots. Riots happen. Crazy thing go on. Wow, that was nuts. It usually gets worse. But then the people mill around in the street and they walk around and they talk about all the stuff that happened. So I want you to picture all the people standing around talking about, man, I really hit that guy good with that rock. And right then he walks in. He walks down the street. Walks into the house of one of those disciples and what do you think those people were thinking? How do you stop a guy like that? How do you stop a guy that you just stoned, beat to a living pulp, and he just comes walking back in? He wasn't done yet. I don't know how you stop somebody like that. I don't think you can. I don't think you can. In fact... Paul, I think, writing about situations like this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he would say, we are hard-pressed on all sides. The Phillips translation says it like this, we are hard-pressed on all sides, but never frustrated. We are puzzled, never in despair. We are persecuted, but we are never deserted. We may be knocked down, but we are never knocked out. Can't stop a guy like that. Can't stop him. You can't stop him. It says the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby, which was just a couple miles away. And they're going to come back to Lystra. And they're going to strengthen the body of believers there. Pretty amazing. I mean, to see what God is able to do, how God moves, how God works. He still works the same way today. He's calling people out of our midst to go to Scotland, out of our midst to go to Romania. He's bringing people out of our midst to go to Montana. He's doing stuff around us. But though God may call people out, and he may give specific callings to them to reach out and to do things, those of us who are left behind still have a job to do. Before God calls us to cross an ocean, he calls us to cross the street. To minister to our neighbor. To talk to our friends. Yeah, Paul got stoned at Lystra. Beat up, cast out, thrown down. Oh, I, I might have forgot to mention. There's a, one of the disciples at Lystra, you know him. His name's Timothy. Remember him? He's one that Paul led to Christ himself. He led him to Christ himself. He brought him to faith. In fact, he would write to him about this. As we close, let's look at it. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you guys flip over there real quick. And we'll cut you loose. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 10. He says to Timothy, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, my purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions and afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 
We got to pick, ladies and gentlemen, whether you are going to be the ones throwing the stones or the ones getting hit by them. You got to choose a side. You may decide for self-preservation, I want to be the one throwing the stones. But there's no life in that. The ones throwing the stones didn't have life. The ones who were hit by the stones, they had life. They couldn't be stopped. They couldn't be shut down. They couldn't have their mouths closed and give up. You know how they finally got Paul quiet? They cut off his head. Is that the end of Paul? Man, you're still reading him 2,000 years later. Do you realize that? It's a long time, by the way. Did they quiet him? One day we're going to get an opportunity to look at him. I'm kind of interested in how he looks. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 17, he said... Let none of you trouble me any longer, for I bear in my body the scars of Jesus Christ. See, he looked like Jesus by the time his life was over. Why? We had the same scars. Right? He had the same scars. That's what we see. We have to decide. Where are you going to be? Jesus said, you are either for me or against me. Got to pick a side. Get off the fence. The fence belongs to the devil. Get off it. Pick a side. Oh, what do I do? How do I do it? I don't know what to do. God knows. Same Holy Spirit in you that was in Paul. Same Bible Paul used is in your lap. You're kidding me. No, really. You can do it. All you have to do is give yourself to Christ and let the Spirit do His job. And He'll give you those Godowinces, right? Turn around in the grocery store and, oh, there they are. But I haven't put together a message. Good. That's probably good that you haven't. It's better that you don't. Just speak the truth from your heart. That's where the Spirit is, right? You let God do His thing. We got a job to do here before he can call us to Scotland or Africa or somewhere else. He will call us to our neighbor, to our mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters. You can't save anybody. What's your job? Tell them. That's it. Tell them. And you let Jesus do the rest. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the the missionary journey. We thank you for the amazing things you were able to work through the life of Paul. And God, I hope that not one of us in here that are being called to be stoned and get up. But I thank you that if we are, you give us what we need when we need it. God, I thank you that when you call us to speak when you put a burden on our heart to share to be that watchman you're not telling us we got to be a theologian and we have to understand everything look just tell somebody what jesus has done for you just invite them to come and see 
that the Lord is good. God, we pray that you would equip your church to be who you are calling her to be, to pick a side that we're not going to be the ones throwing stones. We're not the ones throwing spears. You don't see David throwing a spear. What do you see David do? Ducking. Moving out of the way. He never picked it up and threw it back. God, I just pray that you would equip your people to be who you are asking us to be. By the power of your spirit that you work in us. That we make the decision. We open our lives to you. You move in. You begin to change. And we just say, here I am. Use me. You give me the words to speak and we open our mouth. Give me the opportunity to speak them. You want to see a prayer answered. All you got to do is pray. God, give me someone to share your truth with today. It won't take long. God, I pray that we, your people, would be about doing what you've called us to do, even as Paul, even as Barnabas. God, we just pray that you would move in our midst in a mighty way. Lord, we just pray that you be glorified and magnified as we do it, as we give you thanks and we glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.